Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. We are here once again at the Fairfield Glassworks and Tape Dispensary to bring you another edition of Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Or I was going to say um, Grape Knee High Radio, actually, but that's something <laughs> else entirely. It's sort of an inside joke between John and me. Yeah. I don't remember it. That's how inside it is. <laughs> I hadn't said it to him yet, but we've been talking about a, another podcast that does... <laughs> talks about wine a little bit and well actually the thing that made me think of that was some of the search uh terms that have been bringing people to our website and one of them was grape knee high gluten free <laughs> which is funny because we talk about the whole gluten thing because of my food allergy but we also uh mentioned uh i actually mentioned grape knee high in one of the comments you remember yeah, you said yeah. something like rich is fueled by rice flour and <laughs> and what was it anabolic rice, steroids anabolic steroids and rice flour and i said no i'm fueled by Grape knee high and Splenda, but something else entirely. But we're not endorsing either of those products, however. Yeah, and and um, on the website we added some some Google AdSense just to see if we can pull in maybe two or three pennies over the course of six years. Yeah, <clears throat> but uh, it's interesting. It's actually more entertaining than than uh, financially rewarding because we can see how how AdSense. Um, categorizes our website it seems to to them that we're a site that's centered on wine and wine culture except for one reference to spinal tap figurines or something like that yeah well we we do consistently mention the wine that we've had on the shows consistently consistently so that's the one thing it finds in in almost every every uh, article that we publish when, certainly when we publish a show plus the bloodthirsty uh wine guide and food pairings uh guide yeah. that you had had written which was very good and actually brought somebody to our site, probably looking for a legitimate site about wine. And then they Something ended up, else. they found our uh, bloodthirsty uh, wine guide, which is very funny if you haven't read it. Oh, if I must say so myself. It's hilarious. John wrote it. I, I keep reading it over and over again just to crack myself up. John's a funny guy. I, occasionally. So um, brief mention about some feedback that I got personally over the phone from uh, a friend of mine. Cool. She uh, works for... One of the clients that my company deals with um, at work, she's an employee of this other company. I won't mention either name. So she's suing us? She is not suing us. Oh. And um, she recently came back from France. She doesn't have broadband at home. And basically, considering we're encoding our show at 128K now, without broadband, you're done. Yep. You know? So um, she uh, got back on her trip and was resting. It was a very stressful a trip home because one of her flights got canceled or overbooked, and then she had to sleep in an airport and all that stuff. So she finally got to her friend's house where she was going to sleep for a few hours, and she woke up. She called me to let me know she was back in the country. We were friends outside of the sphere of work, too. We talk pretty mm -hmm. pretty regularly. And anyway, and I said, um, she said, oh, well, there's a computer here. And I said, well, does your friend have broadband? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, check out our show. And she ended up listening to the show. She listened to two shows, but the show she listened to first was the one where we played that Celtic guitar piece, show number mm -hmm. 15, I think it was. And she really liked the show. 
the most flattering thing that she said was that um, the relationship you and I have on the show, the kind of interactions we have, reminded her very much of Hawkeye and BJ on MASH, which I thought was great because I'm a... <laughs> who's who? Well, um, well, she actually she actually said who's who. She said my voice actually reminded her a little bit of Alan Alda, so I became <laughs> Hawkeye, and apparently you're the BJ. <laughs> as long as it's not BJ and the bear. Yeah. And she said, what did she say about your voice? She said, you actually sound like Dr. Drew Pinsky. That's Dr. What, Drew? You know who I mean? Adam and Dr. Yeah. Drew used to have that show on MTV, Loveline and all uh-huh. that. Um, I have no advice for sex. No, or, or drug addiction or anything. But, Nothing. you know, she said that you reminded her of Dr. Drew, your voice. Our, our whole demeanor reminded her of Hawkeye and BJ, and I sound like uh, Alan Alda, which no one has ever told me before. But, I mean, when you're compared to, you know, two of the most beloved characters in television history. I'm uh, flattered. Yeah, that's that's got to be a good thing, I think. Yeah, that's good. And, it, and it's good to hear that uh, our repertoire or our, well, how would I say that? Not, I'm, I'm using the wrong words already. I don't know. Our our demeanor with each other is is uh, is picked up. Well, people uh, seem to like that. Uh, Another one of our um, listeners is a friend of mine from Tustin, California, named Ken. Hi, Ken. Hey. And he um, he likes he listens to us when he drives. I guess when he he does a lot of audio engineering actually, and he's on the road a lot, and sometimes he has to drive, and uh, he'll put on our shows, and it's uh, it's it's just friendly banter, and he likes it, and it just uh, he's comfortable with it. So that that's great flattery too. I appreciate that. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Banter. Banter. Discourse. Yes, bicker, bicker, <laughs> brouhaha, brouhaha, Bounder. melee, yeah, boulder dash. <laughs> so we have a new bottle today, eh? Hey, we do. It's it's a, um, and I'm not going to screw this one up on purpose. It's a uh, sincerity is the name of the, I guess it's the winery, and it's a Merlot Cabernet blend from uh, Chile. And it's a, it's another one of the organic wines. Yes, we're trying a third organic wine on the show. In the past, I've noticed that there's a lot of inconsistency. Oh, that's a great sound. The, that um, is the wine, by the way. From bottle to bottle, I've noticed that uh, even among the same varietal and the same, the same, what should be the same wine, that there uh, is a great deal of inconsistency uh, in the flavor of the wine. So hopefully um, we can find one that's just wonderful all the time. And there should be no reason for that, right? Because, I mean, before the, the invention of pesticides, all wines were organic, right? I mean... You know, why should it be more difficult to uh, to well, make we, an organic wine than a or non-organic wine? I'm sure there was a lot of inconsistency back then, too. We just didn't hear about it. But, people, I mean... People have gotten used to consistency. I mean, look at McDonald's. It's grapes, you know? Well, yeah, it's grapes. It's an alive thing. Yeah. So there's going to be inconsistency. Give it a try. What do you think? I'd be surprised if there was consistency. Hmm, John's... I'm sniffing. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the pretentious wine thing. My nose is entirely in the glass. Yep. Actually, uh, speaking of my friend that I uh, that listened to our show, she um, I sent her a CD since she doesn't have broadband. I, I mailed her out a CD of all of our shows up until the most recent show. John, you look a little disappointed. Um, it may be the bottle. Hmm. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I'll let it mellow me for a while and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, well, you just had a. a cup of uh, black coffee so maybe that's changed your uh, palate a little bit Mm -hmm. so we're just gonna get right into it we're gonna do kind of an all-media show again like we've done once before and we're Mm -hmm. gonna get right into a song called dusty knob by a bluegrass (laughs) band called badly bent and these guys are guys that i know from where i work the banjoist in this band is a gentleman by the name of mark epstein and he owns a store out in durango colorado and uh, we we deal with them and he uh, agreed to send us uh 
one of his CDs because he wants the music heard. So play it. Hoot and holler. Uh, some of those bluegrass pickers are pretty mean, you know? Those guys can play. Yeah, and if you don't appreciate that, even if you're not a big bluegrass fan or country western kind of style music fan, you got to appreciate the playing. They're just great. They're great. I feel like Bill Knowlton. <laughs> hmm? He's the local guy on the, our local public radio station who on Sunday nights from like 7 to 10 has Bill Knowlton's Bluegrass Ramble. Oh, I listen to it all the time. It's great. There's a lot of good music on there. I think um, one of the more interesting bands I've seen was uh, a band called, I think they were called Seldom Seen. And there's this, and great, they were. There's this great club uh, down just outside of D.C. in Virginia called The Birchmere. I don't know if you've heard of it when no. you were living there. But I used to go see Steve Morse there all the time. Flack plays there. I mean, it's hmm. this tiny little club, but great acts get, uh, go in there. And uh, I saw a band called The Seldom Seen there, which are just these ripping bluegrass players. I mean, yeah. these guys can play. Yeah, by the way, you might hear some differences in our voices. Why? Because we have these cool new mics. We're the envy of all the podcasters. Yeah. KSM 27s by Sure. Ah. Condenser mics. We're just yeah. 
we got like the coolest mics now. Yeah, we're the coolest. Yes, we are. Are well, we try. Did anyway. you hear that that cracking? That was me breaking my shoulder, patting us on the back. Yeah, don't do that. So, what do you think about this wine now? After we've had a few moments to um, to um, sort of uh, appreciate the, the flavor, I don't know. I don't know. I've had better. It, it just might be my preference. I mean, I don't know if it's the mix or what, but it's just uh, I'm not too wild about it. Well, I think the word you used was right on the money. It's a little harsh. The flavor's not as sophisticated or round as uh, some of the better wines we're used to, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think next week we'll we'll crack open some really good stuff. Yeah, it's very acidic. It is. That's it is a, very high a, in acid. Um, interesting thing I saw on some of the uh, blogs I read, slashed out or whatever. They believe they found the remains of Nikolai Copernic, father of modern astronomy, or as some people call him, Nicholas Copernicus. Copernicus. But that's sort of the Romanized version of his name, the Latinized version. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because there's Copernic is actually very popular locally. They have this group called the Copernic Society, and there's this enormous um, statue of him that was uh, sculpted, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, and it's on display. Oh, actually, it's, it's older than that. I think it's from the 50s or 60s. Mm-mm. Oh, it's not? No, it's definitely not, because I remember when they unveiled it. I was I was there. Hmm. It's like 80s, I think. And that is actually... I might actually, be thinking of a different statue then. Maybe. It's the one right across the street from Munson Williams in that little park. That's that's the Kopernik statue. But anyway, uh, I'm Polish, so Kopernik is sort of of interest to me, right? You know, yeah. why not? Oh. I like uh, Galileo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we should get them in a fist fight and see who wins. <laughs> it's like rock'em, sock'em robots. That's right. But they believe they found the what's left of the remains of Nikolai Kopernik at the um, cathedral or wherever, wherever it was where he worked in, in Poland. And they have done a forensic reconstruction of his face based on his skull shape with whatever software package they have available to do that. They've basically constructed this eerily real-looking image, both lateral profile profile and front face. And um, he looks like a really cool guy, actually. He looks like somebody I'd want to get to know. He has this very <laughs> unique nose, and um, he does resemble very much the likenesses that we see of Kopernik, uh, mm-hmm. either painted or sculpted. So they really think they've uh, found the right guy. And I think that's great, you know, that they, they have software that can do that and give us a look at what this person might have looked like. To me, that's just uh, amazing. That's yeah. Miraculous, even. Yeah, now they've reconstructed his face. How about they reconstruct his reputation? Why? What's bad about his reputation? Uh, well, he just doesn't get all the credit that he's due, right? Well, the history is full of people who don't <laughs> get credit they're due, and that's actually an interesting topic for another show. Yeah, a whole entire show. Well, in keeping with our media-intensive show, we're going to have another tune. This one is... The Devin Garamond Band. Yeah. It's a song called Walk and Taller. These guys are really strong. We played them once before. We'll link to them. They're great. They're uh, local jazz guys, and they're just ripping. They lay it down. <laughs> Thank you. 
Good stuff. Yeah. Some things just go really well together, like apples and cinnamon and Hammond organs and jazz. That Hammond sounds great. It's such a cool classic instrument. One of the studios, studios I used to work in, let me try that again, it sounds sober, had a 59 Hammond B3, and that thing just sang. <laughs> I mean, we had the, the Leslie, Leslie cabinet, the Leslie yeah. 122 or whatever the model number was for it, and that thing just it was just a thing of beauty. It's such a classic, amazing instrument, and nothing sounds like it. You no. know, I've heard all these digital recreations, and they're just not doing it for me. Nope. That's the real thing for all of our jazz fans out there. Yes. Which include us. Does it? I think it does. Ah, so, man, what's happening? What's going on in your life? What you been doing? What you been seeing? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Another movie at the MWPAI.org. They've really got to give us some money. <laughs> An ongoing independent film series. Uh, Jim Jarmusch film called Broken Flowers. Saw it last uh, Friday. Yeah, and I've been, been saying been two to, days ago. I've been saying to Rich, you know, don't spoil this for me because I do want to see this film. It's something I've been uh, looking forward to seeing for a long time. Well, I'm going to do my best not to spoil it for you, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Bill Murray stars in it, and it's about um, this guy who's kind of independently wealthy and doesn't have to work anymore. He made, his, uh, he made his wealth in computers, and he gets a letter in the mail, and it's, it's on this pink stationery, <laughs> and it's written with red pen, and it says something like, we dated once. I have, we have a son now, but I chose to raise raise him alone. He's 17 or 18, and he just went on a road trip, and I think he may be coming to meet his father, you, and the woman doesn't sign it. So it's this mystery letter, which really appeals to his neighbor, Winston, played by Jeffrey Wright, because he's this detective wannabe. <laughs> so Winston's, you know, eyeing the, the letter with a magnifying glass and looking at it under his microscope as if all these Holmes, Holmesian methods could possibly <laughs> reveal who the woman is, right? But what he ends up doing is asking Bill Murray's character, uh, what is the name of the guy? Don Johnston is the character <laughs> that Bill Murray plays. Unfortunately. Named. And he, his neighbor Winston asks him for a list of women that he dated and slept with apparently <laughs> 20 years ago or so. And the, that would be about the age of the boy. And he comes up with a list. And then unbeknownst to uh, Bill Murray's character, this guy comes up with a travel itinerary, including... <laughs> Rental cars, booked plane tickets, and MapQuest maps. You know, it's, he's like totally wired, this guy. And Bill Murray goes on a little adventure to see these four women and find out if they are the mother of this child. Mm -hmm. That is even assuming that this letter isn't some sort of joke. And there's one point in the film where um, Julie Delpy played, early in the film, Julie Delpy, she was in the Before Sunrise and Before Sunset films with Ethan Hawke. Beautiful French woman. She played his sort of girlfriend, but she left him in the very first scene of the movie. And uh, she ends up writing him a letter later in the film on pink paper with red pen. So we don't really know. Uh, that letter may be fiction. It may not. And we ultimately don't find out anything about the film. He takes this little life adventure. And some of his girlfriends are played by wonderful actresses, Sharon Stone, Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang was brilliant. I mean, she was so insecure. The character she played in this film was amazing. But we don't really learn anything. He ultimately goes on this adventure, and there aren't a lot of answers by the end of the film. There's a, probably perhaps more questions than there are answers. The thing that's kind of typical about Jarmusch's directorial style is he likes humor, and he likes elusiveness, you know? As one reviewer put it, he tends to prefer elusiveness to exposition, and that pretty much defines this film. Yes, yeah. we're left at the very end of the film... And uh, we're asking the same questions that Bill Murray's character is asking. 
you know, what just happened here. But it's a it's a fun adventure while uh, while it's happening. And I would recommend the film. I think it's very good. I'm not entirely certain that Bill Murray is strong enough to play this particular role. I mean, certainly we know him as a comedic actor, right? Um, Ghostbusters, Stripes, <laughs> uh, Caddyshack, you know? Yeah, that's a fact, Jack. And any time, every time I, I see Bill Murray, I just expect him to burst out in song, you know, Star Wars, <laughs> you know, nothing but Star Wars. I don't know. I'm an those awful crazy, singer. Those crazy Star Wars. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I would recommend it. I think I think Bill Murray's excellent in the film. You know, I'm not sure he was the best choice to play that character. One of the highlights in the film for me was his neighbor, Winston, the, the actor Jeffrey Wright. He he's such a quirky Sherlock Holmes wannabe, and he's it's hysterical. His character as playing off of of Bill Murray, who's such a straight, you know, boring guy. He made his millions. He sleeps on a sofa all day with a sweatsuit on and watches TV. Yeah, but well, this, this character provides some levity to to Bill Murray's seriousness. It, it's interesting though that that Bill Murray started out as this this great comedic uh, performer on, on Saturday Night Live and then in films and over the top in so many different ways. And and now every single role that he's in, he plays the straight guy where he's just essentially this this blank canvas walking through these stories. Like uh, what was the uh, the Coppola film? Um, the Lost Godfather. In, Lost, <laughs> not that one. Oh. The, the younger Coppola, the Lost in Translation. Mm. Um, even though he plays this this actor this famous actor supposed to be um he's still constantly playing it straight even though when he delivers these comedic lines he does them in a straight way these kind of dry humor kind of way yeah and i like bill murray do you remember when he used to be part owner of our local baseball team we uh, used to have a single a baseball team and he came and performed comedy before our opening game like 10 or 15 years ago i don't even know what it was but yeah, that was cool. And we like Bill Murray, right? I mean, oh, yeah. He's he's fantastic. Yeah. And, and one of my favorite films, Rushmore, He's I think he's great in that. But again, another straight role. Yeah. And that's, well, you know, they're casting against type a little bit. I mean, that is a classic Coppola thing, by the way, mm-hmm. to cast against type. Not necessarily in the mob movies. but Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, all those guys, you know, they're Italian guys. So they cast well, the conversation. Italian guys. He cast Hackman in the conversation. Yeah. And I saw him on Inside the Actors Studio. And he talked at length about how he felt that that was casting against type. And I thought Hackman was great in the role, and Hackman's one of our greatest actors, mm-hmm. but uh, that was a wonderful film, too. Yeah, and he was great as Lex Luthor. <laughs> Actually, what's his name? Um, Ned Otis. Beatty. Ned Beatty. Mr. Luthor. Yes, Mr. Luthor. <laughs> Otisburg. Otisburg. Remember, he named a city yes, after himself. That's right. <laughs> and, and yeah, I thought Ned Beatty was great. He's such, a, such an amazing character actor. <laughs> uh, so what do we got? More tunes? More tunage? We have... Tunes aplenty. What's this one called? Yeah, this is from a local band called Ted Edison. A, uh, there is no Ted Edison, by the way. That's just their name. Yeah. <laughs> I pulled the classic uh, where I thought that the Ted Edison meant that it was a single guy like Jethro Tull. Right. But no, it's just it's no, just Ted a Edison. name. Yeah. What's the uh, song called? Where the Liar Sleeps. This is a pretty, uh, pretty banging tune.
That's a pretty smoking piece of rock and roll, I think. Prog rock. Yeah, well, it's it's fairly straight up compared to a lot of prog rock, but the drummer plays like Weckle and the bass player is like Victor Wooten or something. And uh, <laughs> the guitar player, actually, tell me, did you hear a little discipline in that little guitar riff, that sort of repeated uh, idea, theme that he kept going throughout the song? There's On their website, I know they list Crimson as an influence, and I definitely hear a little frip in, uh, in the guitar player's thing. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's what I sort of uh, caught on to because I've said before, I'm a Crimson fan. John is a big crimson fan big fat crimson fan <laughs> hold the fat oh so. so we're gonna talk about another film why film. because i have declared it so because we can and we will and because john is entirely preoccupied with a trade show he will be visiting in the near future yes and just west of the mississippi he had nothing for the show just nothing i've got nothing but my voice he's not even here that's actually a computer pretending to be john yeah it's an eliza program <laughs> Remember Eliza? That was great. How do you feel about Eliza? I never met her. What do you mean by met? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean when you say met? <laughs> it was a clever program, though. And, it and was we, great. We could run it on like this 16K Commodore PET. Remember the uh, Commodore PETs, which stood for Personal Electronic Transactor. How does Transactor make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That, that, that program has become more evolved over the years, and as I understand it, it's still being developed by somebody, and it's becoming a little smarter. It's, it's not, self-aware now. It, it Yes. <laughs> Actually, I wonder when Google is going to become self-aware. That's the real question, because yeah, it has gonna... accumulated a big mass of knowledge, hasn't it? Well, it has, and, and it's going to turn into Skynet, and uh, we're yes. going to have a Terminator coming to kill us in the past. I'll be back. So I've watched the film Castaway again. Um, I've actually watched it twice in the past week. I watched it straight up, straight through. Tom Hanks. That 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 guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Life is like a box of chocolates guy. And then I watched it with Bob Zemeckis' directorial comments on, and it actually ended up being more the sound designer talking about sound, right? And you'd think, mm-hmm. I would love that. I'm an audio guy. I want to hear what Zemeckis has to say. The sound designer dominated like 65% of the... <laughs> The commentary, which... And here's where I put in some more ocean sounds. <laughs> well, how about this? Um, the thing that I found very interesting, not one paid product endorsement in the film. Yes, and FedEx was featured very prominently in the film. Wilson, Wilson Volleyballs yep. featured, but Zemeckis said they didn't want a, another creative partner in the film, so they just basically asked permission to use the FedEx name and logo because they didn't want to invent some BS... Hollywood thing, you know, corporate air or some package delivery service that just didn't have any credibility or sound real, right? So Yeah, and I guess they would have to get permission because they're going to crash a plane with their name on it. Yeah, and that was kind of, I guess, he didn't go into great details about this, but I mean, they had to approach FedEx that way, right? Here's the script. We're going to crash a plane. It's not going to be negligence. It's just an accident. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get a lot of free advertisement out of it, too, which is uh, certainly wasn't bad for them. Right. Interesting film because... I guess I didn't realize this until Zemeckis pointed it out and the sound editor, sound designer, but there's no music in that film until he leaves the island. And by music, I mean scored music as background music. You know, there's some Elvis music played that's supposed to be the radio, for example, Mm -hmm. but there's no scored music played until he has successfully gotten past the reef and the breaking waves. And he's like a mile from the island and he looks back and sees his home, which was his home for the past four years. Obviously, to enhance the the feeling of isolation, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it, it's interesting because, I mean, they actually chose not to use birds and insect sounds. You know, so sound designers are searching for these things to put in. You know, they, they mm-hmm. want to add sounds to make it sound realistic. 
And I guess it turns out on these remote islands around Fiji, birds don't hang out and live on these small islands anyway. So not having birds was entirely naturally appropriate for, for that. But, you know, no insects, no nothing. Basically breaking waves, wind rustling through the palm trees or things like that. And, it, yeah, it definitely added to the isolation. And this is a, a difficult film to make because basically the bulk of the film takes place desolate, remote, with one actor. Mm-hmm. So if you got a guy who can't act... <laughs> it doesn't work, you know, and there, this reminds me of another film where basically the film took place in two places. Of course, Castaway took place on an island, and then there was the sort of preface and the right, the postscript right. that took place with his wife and Bridges very briefly. But this reminded me of another Hanks film called Apollo 13, where the whole bulk of the movie took place either in the command module, a mm-hmm. very cramped space, or in mission control in, right. in Houston. So you need to be a pretty skilled director and have a pretty good talent. Well, a good story, of course, that's key. But you need to have a talented group of people to to pull that off. And I thought in both films uh, it was pulled off perfectly. Yeah, and, and Tom's Tom Hanks is a, is I don't know. He's a little bit of a hack. I don't think that he's uh, that great of an actor. <laughs> yeah, he's no good. We hate him. <laughs> but I thought that was I thought that was very interesting. And while it was interesting to learn all of those things about sound design. I was hoping for more commentary from Zemeckis, but I thought that was a pretty strong film. And I guess it turns out that that was Tom Hanks' idea. He had approached Zemeckis years ago and said, I want to do a movie that shows what it's like to really be stranded on a desert island. I guess that means not Gilligan's Island, right? We all grew up with Gilligan's Island. So I want to see something like that. And it was basically written for Hanks. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he did wear the same clothes every day, kind of like on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, he did. Down to virtually nothing at the end. (laughs) Right. And it was, I think that they they did a good job, especially with the ending, and I'm not giving anything away. It wasn't the the typical Hollywood ending where there's a happy story and everyone's reunited and it's, uh, you know, perfect boy meets girl all over again. They were going to have him rescued, I guess. They were briefly considering a ship rescuing him or something actually on the island as opposed to him building that raft and escaping the island. But they chose not to go in that direction. One of the things that uh, Zemeckis did point out in the film was what they chose to be in those FedEx boxes. Once he realized he was on the island for a while, he decided Mm -hmm. to open up those FedEx packages and see if he could utilize any of the materials and goods that were in there. And what did he have? He had ice skates and VCR tapes and all this stuff. And they purposely chose stuff that you, of course, wouldn't need on a tropical island in the South Pacific. But then what they did was they brought in some survival experts and said, what would you do with these items? Were you stranded on this island? And then they made an axe out of the ice Mm -hmm. skates and and, uh, wove the tape into rope and used that meshy part of a woman's skirt as kind of a filter, a net to, uh, to fish small fish out of the water, I assume. So that was very interesting to me. And one of the things you mentioned before was that it didn't have the Hollywood ending, right? His wife ends up marrying someone else while he's on the island because she assumes he's dead. Well, after four years, I guess you would assume the person was dead. But, you know, I mean, in terms of real life, what happens now? He's back. She knows it. She says to him at the end of the film, you're the love of my life. And I I just kept thinking to myself, how long is her marriage with this guy going to last now that she knows the guy that she really loves is back. I don't know. I mean, that has nothing to do with the film, and that's, of course, just speculation. But I wonder what would happen to her marriage if something like that had happened. Just something I'm yeah, throwing in, out in, in real in the life, universe. though. Man, that, that's tough because she had to basically kill something off inside of her to make her go on with the rest of her life. Yeah. You know, she had to essentially commit to another relationship. She's got kids. She, she did have, a, I think, at least one child. 
Right. I think she had a girl with the, the dentist guy. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a life there. It's not like uh, she can turn back the clock. So I think that she just had to just go on with it, maybe with a huge sense of loss. But would that have actually happened? I mean, who knows? I don't know. It's well, a film. Yeah, right. But it's fun to think about. <laughs> yeah. The, the the one funny thing in the film, I mean, there were many funny things in the film. There were many tragic things in the film. But he, right, he has this little friend, Wilson, the volleyball, that he even gives hair at one point in the film. <laughs> and he's talking to it, which is a great coping tool, I guess, right? I was, I talked to a friend of mine who's got a master's in psych, and she thought it was a great coping tool for someone who's on an island to invent this little friend. Not to mention and, a great um, dramatic device for the film. Yeah, it is a great dramatic device. And there's one point when he's in the cave. And he's saying something ironic to Wilson, saying, you're not going to believe this, but my dentist back home is named Dr. Spaulding, which I thought was really funny. And despite the fact that it's just a volleyball, when he's out on the raft and he's asleep, Wilson falls off the little pedestal that he tied Mm -hmm. him to and he starts floating away and he tries to rescue Wilson and he realizes he can't. Wilson is too far gone and for him to go after Wilson means he might lose his raft and then he's really dead. And... They show him just bawling his eyes out. He's crying on the raft just completely as if his wife had died. And despite the fact that it's a volleyball, they play that music. And it's actually a terribly sad scene. He lost his best friend. It's actually tragic. But it's not about that. I think at at that point he's realizing everything else that he's lost. You know, it's not just that he's losing the ball. He's realizing the situation he's in and... Now what's the next part of his life? Or is it going to be ended? Yeah, because he's so. he's willing to risk his life instead of staying on that island. I also found the use of the whale interesting. There was that whale that sort mm-hmm. of followed him around and would look at him and talk to him every once in a while. And Zemeckis chose that just because it was biblical, you know, the idea of the whale. And yeah, uh, he, chose he got a it. discount on the special effect, too. He did. He did. And there were a lot of special effects. They, uh, I won't go into it, but... Um, that island was actually surrounded by their other islands, and they had to digitally remove those islands mm-hmm. so that it looked very isolated. And there were there were effects everywhere, but you don't see them, actually. They're pretty seamless, and, of course, in today's world, they should be. Yeah. But anyway, that's Castaway. Check it out. If you haven't seen it, it's a great film. Another brilliant performance by Tom Hanks. And I think uh, you know Zemeckis is sort of known as an action special effects guy, Back to the Future, blah, blah, blah. But I thought that was a, a great film by Zemeckis. Yeah, very good. I concur. That's right. So we got nothing left. I think we're out of here. You know what happens when we got nothing left? What? Klaxons. There they are. Klaxons everywhere. You're giving me a strange look. I'm just confused. My mind is a blank. So how do you feel about these new mics after having used them for the last 44 minutes? Um, they're vertical. That's right. These are side address microphones. You talk into the side, kind of like Howard Stern's mic. We've all seen him talking on his TV show, or maybe we haven't. Yeah. But yeah, that's what Howard Stern's mics are like. And, and we have different kinds like. of guests, too. Yeah, we will soon. Anyway, check us out on the web at www.bloodyveg.com. And you can email us at feedback at bloodyveg.com. Don't be afraid. We dare you. Send us stuff. Uh, money, audio feedback, email, everything. Whitefish. That's right. Anyway, we're out of here, and remember, you're listening to VIB. VIB.